All right, well, Rory's not being funny. What? Uh, you can't just make someone be funny. Yes, I can. Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host, Katie. And today we are talking about the disappearance of Antoinette Cayadito. And was this a listener recommendation? Yes, this was recommended by Thurman many a months ago. <laughs> What's Thurman's last name? Merman. <laughs> I don't put people's last names in. I don't know if they're comfortable with that. Oh, well, let's just say his name is Thurman Munson. He didn't Merman. die. Thurman Merman. Why would it not be Thurman Merman? Because Thurman Munson was a Yankees catcher who died in a plane crash in the 70s. It's the only other Thurman I know. Very odd piece of trivia. So where did you do your research on this one, Katie? Pretty much everywhere. This was a lot of very old news articles and unsolved mysteries was a part of it. And there's some stuff on Reddit, too. So Katie kind of Frankensteined this thing together for you. It's a conglomeration. It's a word, right? That is a yes, word. it is. All right, cool. Good use of a new word, Jake. <laughs> it's not a new word. It's a new-to-you word. I made it up! Conglomeration. <laughs> Sometimes I'll say a word that's, like, unique that you don't say very often, and then, like, an hour later, Jake will say it, too, in conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's so Antoinette Cayadito. Okay, so she's got the TH in her name, so it's not a normal Antoinette, right? Yes. All right, I just want to get that out there and move on from my words. So it'd be Antoinette? Antoinette. Antoinette. Okay. Why don't you go ahead and start us off on this one, Kitty? Antoinette Cayadito was born on December 25th, 1976, to parents Penny Cayadito and Anthony Montoya. Oh, a Christmas baby. There are some debates online as to who is the biological father of Antoinette, with some saying a man named Larry Estrada is her quote-unquote real father, although her sister Wendy does hold the last name Montoya. You know Eminem's daughter was born on December 25th, too. You're full of trivia today, aren't you? <laughs> I am. I'm just pulling trivia out of everywhere. Either way, Penny and Anthony split when the children were young, and the family of four, consisting of Penny, Antoinette, Wendy, and Sadie, all moved to Gallup, New Mexico. Gallup is just a trot away from the very similar, yet less refined, town of Giddy Up. Giddy Up, partner. <laughs> Gallup is a relatively small city with a population of around 21,000 and is around 100 miles outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico, along the historic Route 66. Unfortunately for the city, the crime rate is extremely high, with the violent crime rate being five times the national average, the highest in New Mexico. Despite this, the Cayadito family was able to find a comfortable apartment near Route 66, where they lived happily until April 6, 1986. Now, why is there such a high crime rate in Gallup? I don't, I don't know. Hmm. I don't think there's an explanation. Seems to me that the writers of Breaking Bad missed a real point where they could have just put the whole show in Gallup. I think Albuquerque is a good backdrop for that. But anyway, uh, back to Gallup. Now, what is the main, like, industry in Gallup? Do you know any of this about the city? Or am I just asking random questions? Just random questions. Okay. It's mostly, I think it's, I think the population is around 50% Native American. A lot of it is reservation land. So there's 
Navajo, Hopi, and one other tribe I can't remember. But that's, I mean, really all I know. I've been there. Oh, how was it? It's a city. It's not quite as good as Giddy Up. It's New Mexico. I don't think there's anything in New Mexico that's, like, particularly cool or attractive. (laughs) Unless you really like turquoise. I bet they do have a lot of turquoise there. Okay. There's a lot of sand. Um, There's a lot of stray dogs. White sand. Gas stations. There's really not much else that I've seen, at least being there. But I think I've only really driven through on, like, the highway. Okay, so if we have any Giddy Up listeners, I mean Gallup, I mean Trotsville, uh, if we have any listeners from New Mexico that want to tell us what is good about your state, go ahead and reach out to us. Let us know. Hey, New Mexico is good for turquoise. It's part of the Four Corners. Yeah. And you're just shitting on it. No, I'm telling them. That we, we need information. We don't know why your state is good, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, I don't have us. any idea. You need to tell us what's up with that. I mean, you have Roswell. I mean, that's cool. I mean, Arizona's not all that great either. I know. It's like, We're just a, four states of, like, hot, We got Sedona. We okay. got Red Rocks. We got the Grand Canyon. The fuck else do you need? The Grand... It's all just rocks. Yeah. Like, Arizona's great. You can go see one rock or another much larger rock. You want to see Big Hole? hole I got it. Big Hole. <laughs> big Hole. As is typical for eldest siblings, nine-year-old Antoinette shared much of the responsibility for caring for her younger sisters, Sadie, seven, and Wendy, five. According to Wendy in an Albuquerque Journal article, Antoinette was quote-unquote like their mommy, ensuring that they were fed, clothed, and that the house was clean. When Penny did go out, she left the girls with a babysitter, but it was more often than not that Antoinette acted as a second babysitter, helping take care of Sadie and Wendy. Because that first babysitter was doing what? It's Albuquerque. Oh, no, it's not. It's Gallup. (laughs) I don't understand your question. Yeah. I don't understand why if they have a babysitter there, Anthonette needs to be another babysitter. Because she was just very mothering. She helped take care of the kids, even if there was someone already there taking care of them. The first babysitter was boozed out smoking cigarettes. Is that what you want to hear? Yes. Okay, there you go. 100%, that's what I was trying to get at. It's a bad babysitter. You know what else is a bad babysitter? TV. Okay. <laughs> good, good stand there, Roar. <laughs> Please continue, Katie. On the night of April 5th, 1986, Penny went to a local bar, leaving the children with a babysitter, who has never been publicly named. Some sources say that this was a common occurrence for Penny, leaving the children with a babysitter so she could go out and drink. Some have even claimed over the years that Penny may have been doing more than just drinking, but this has obviously never been confirmed, and most reports at the time state that Penny showed no signs of abusing drugs. She returned home around midnight, and again, we aren't exactly sure how much she drank. Some sources say that Penny stayed up talking to the girls until just before 3 a.m., while others say that the children were all asleep. Who are these people that have these ideas? These sources? Who are they? The police. Ah, I think it just has gotten convoluted over the years from multiple interviews with different detectives and it all being reported differently, basically. Okay. My best guess is that Penny went to bed relatively soon after arriving home and had consumed her fair share of alcohol as she slept through what occurred at 3 a.m. The girls did have to be awake early the next morning for Bible study, so it would be odd that Penny would allow them to stay awake until 3 a.m., But, of course, this is just speculation on my part, and we don't know exactly what happened. 
I will say that a lot of the rumors surrounding this case have arisen from online message boards like Reddit, so some of the information has to be taken with a grain of salt. Kind of like the margaritas that she was drinking. So <laughs> she gets home, she wakes up the kids and keeps them up till three in the morning. So it depends on basically which source you you look at. Some say that they were awake when she got home at midnight, and I guess they all like to sleep in the same bed together. So mm. she got home, they were awake, and they all kind of stayed up hanging out. Antoinette stayed up the longest because she was the oldest, and the other girls kind of fell asleep throughout them talking until 3 a.m. Some sources say that she walked in and the kids were asleep, and she sent the babysitter home, and that was that. What does the babysitter have to say about all this? We have no idea who they were, and they've never spoken to the police, as far as I know. The babysitter did it. Mm. Mm. Why would she... Ooh, that, that does make sense. Okay, anyways. Around 3 a.m., Antoinette and Sadie, the seven-year-old sister, were both awake and Penny asleep when a knock came at the door. It said that Antoinette chose not to answer it because she didn't recognize the man outside, but Sadie would later say that she was unable to describe him. It is important to note that the apartment had both a regular door and a screen door. Now, I'm not sure if this was a screen door, meaning the flimsy type just to keep bugs out, or a security door. Either way, Penny said that both doors were locked when she went to sleep. Sometime between 3.30 and 7 a.m., another knock came. This time, it was Antoinette alone who went to the door while the other family members slept, although one of the girls reported hearing a man's voice claiming he was Uncle Joe. So from the other room, she heard him. She heard a man's voice say, uh, Uncle Joe here. Or yeah, she... I think something along the lines of Antoinette going, who is it, and him going, it's Uncle Joe, open the door, basically. Does she have an Uncle Joe? She does. Mm -hmm. At 7 a.m., Penny awoke to take the girls to Bible study, one of Antoinette's favorite activities, as she was very devoted to her faith. As well, most nine-year-olds are. Are they? Yeah, they'll believe anything you tell them. Yeah, they still believe in the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus, so. I guess that's true. I didn't believe in God when I was nine, so I don't know. I don't think I ever did. I didn't even... I was a motherfucking Bible-quizzing champion, bitch! <laughs> Jake believed. Both Sadie and Wendy were present and ready to go, but Penny quickly realized Antoinette was nowhere to be found. Because of her independent nature, Penny assumed that Antoinette had awoken early and gone outside, seeing as both front doors were unlocked. It's reported that someone in the neighborhood had recently lost their dog, so Penny guessed that Antoinette had gone out to join the search party. Sounds like a nice thing for a kid to do. I would have done that as a kid. Yeah, that makes sense. A dog. Yeah, I guess there was like a group of kids that were like scouring the neighborhood for this dog. So she assumed she just went out, joined them. Back in the day, that's the way it was. These days, kids would just be like on the app, like, oh, we're all just talking about if we see the dog or not. Are you a boomer? What is going on? <laughs> it was a fun time to go out and find the dog in person. But here's the thing. <laughs> These kids are so connected, you could have 60 eyes in a matter of, five seconds i literally went out three days ago and helped someone look for their cat it still happens bro all right all right penny took sadie and wendy out around the neighborhood asking neighbors if anyone had seen Antoinette. panic quickly set in as penny received no's from everyone she spoke to penny called the police around 11 a.m along with larry estrada who came over to help search for the missing girl According to the chief of police at the time, policy in 1986 was to wait 24 hours to consider a child officially missing and begin a search, 
meaning police did not arrive and begin looking for Antoinette until Monday, April 7th. That's actually a rule. I thought that was like a live rule that they only told on TV. <laughs> I thought it was only a rule for missing adults. If the parent says the kid's missing, you got to go after him, right? Yeah. I guess I think it was like department to department, but this was probably a relatively small police department, hmm. and it's a small city, so I can only guess they just assumed the kid was around and would show back up. That's crazy. We have TV shows called The First 48 now because the first 48 hours are the most important of any case. Nah, we gotta wait 24. We only, look, you're only a good detective if you can figure it out between hour 25 and 48. The, in child abduction cases, it's the first three hours. Typically, if they're gone for longer than three with an abductor, they're killed. Police began with the typical interviews with the family, learning about the knocks heard by Sadie, which went unheard by Penny. There were zero signs of forced entry in the home, making police certain that Antoinette had been kidnapped by someone she knew, as she would have unlocked the door for them. The physical search continued for three days, with a tracking dog even being brought in briefly, but no scent was able to be found past the apartment door. So do you think she was carried to a car? From what we learned later, yes. Okay. And I should probably clarify, these aren't, like, apartment buildings with, like, first and second floors. These are more, like... Townhomes? Townhomes, basically, like, small, like, two-bedroom townhomes that are just side-by-side. Side. Okay. Like triplexes, duplexes type things? Kind of, yeah. Okay. Police also began interviewing anyone in the family or neighborhood that may have had information or connections to the case. Surprisingly, Antoinette did in fact have an Uncle Joe, but he was quickly ruled out as a suspect due to a corroborated alibi. This means that whoever kidnapped Antoinette was close enough to the family to know that she would respond to someone claiming to be Uncle Joe. A neighbor also reported seeing a brown van or truck with New Mexico plates sitting in front of the Cayadito home between 6.30 and 7 a.m. on April 6th. She saw a man exit the truck and approach the front door, but was unable to give any sort of description outside of brown van or truck and man. The neighbor was apparently unconcerned by the sighting of the van because it was common for people to come and go from the Cayadito home at all hours of the day and night, which sounds like an exaggeration to me, but who knows. Yeah, because like, okay, maybe a white van, like a contractor looking van, ladders and stuff, you might think nothing of it, but a weird brown van... Well, my concern is that this woman can't tell the difference between a van and a truck. Yeah, that's kind of the weird part is that, I mean, I guess if you saw like a truck with a camper, maybe. Maybe. But, but an all-brown camper? On I an feel like truck? she's covering. I think it was probably like a white sedan. <laughs> no, because it was correct. Other neighbors saw the the brown okay. truck Vehicle? or van. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It just seems weird that you see that and then you wouldn't kind of watch for a second because it's obviously couldn't... The guy couldn't walk up to the house and be there for 30 minutes or something. He had to walk up, knock on the door. Antoinette came to the door, and then apparently he would grab her. And so 6.37 in the morning is light too, right? It should have been, yes, most likely. In April, yeah, probably. Yeah, so I could see opening the door for someone claiming to be Uncle Joe, but then how would she not be frightened and scream when it's not Uncle Joe. Well, there are probably also 150 reasons that would cross through my head, like, oh, they're there to pick them up for church. Oh, they're there to do this. Oh, they're there to do that. Before I jump to, that person is kidnapping a child in that home. Like That's the problem. It's, it's, <laughs> it's understandable that they would make a vague note in their head, of like, yeah, I saw a brown car in their driveway at this time of day. And then not 
actually register that shit to memory because why would you? Like, what car was parked out in front of a neighbor's house last night? Which neighbor? Uh, Kane's? Kane's. That red Nissan, wasn't it? There was like three cars parked in front of Kane's last night. Across the street. Oh, like over on the... Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Was it the Dodge? Well, it was a white Dodge when I left, yeah. But that See, is, I was... It, but I don't even think it was... Uh, it might not have been a Dodge. That's the thing, is that I wouldn't have known. There was definitely a white car parked there when I left, though, but I couldn't tell you what it is. So, And this is 24 hours later, you know, like... People don't always remember something that seems out of the ordinary or anything. Especially if it doesn't seem out of the yeah. ordinary. If she's used to cars coming and going all the time, she would yeah, own why would another you, car. She doesn't go in her, oh, neighbor's brain, car log, bleep, 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 bleep. I think she did it. Well, we're, you know, a quarter of the way through, and we have no evidence of that, but we'll see. <laughs> I'm calling it my theory as of the moment, you know? On Wednesday, April 9th, the search was called off as no sign of Antoinette could be found. Police continued to speak to neighbors and believe they may have a lead after speaking to multiple young boys in the neighborhood. They all reported that a man, 62-year-old Wes Daniels, would take them on quote-unquote picnics where he sexually abused them. Daniels was arrested, but it was quickly determined that he had no involvement in Antoinette's disappearance as he only ever abused young boys. After this lead fell through, the case went about as cold as a case can go, and no new information came in for around a year. Did that guy at least get sent to prison? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. For lots of charges. Good. Fuck that dude. I think there was like four different kids in the neighborhood that he was abusing. Man, parents know your neighbors. Watch them like hawks. Back in the 80s, everyone was just like, thought everybody was cool. They were all naive. I don't think they were. I think they were that willfully ignorant type of people like not in my backyard type of people's nimbies they were real nimbies back then <laughs> nimbies oh not in my backyard. on april 12 1987 a year after Antoinette disappeared the gallup police department received a call from a frantic young girl the call is distressing so skip ahead around 40 seconds if you don't wish to hear it i'm If you can't quite make out what is said, the young girl says, I'm Antoinette Caidito, I'm in Albuquerque, before a man shouts, Who said you could use the phone? And screaming is heard before the line goes dead. When Penny heard this phone call, she was 100% convinced that it was Antoinette on the phone. Unfortunately, the call did not last long enough for the location to be traced, and nothing more came of it. So this is almost two years afterwards, right? A year. A year, okay. A year and a couple days. Many argue that the call likely was a prank, as the girl stated she was in Albuquerque, but she called the non-emergency line in Gallup. Wouldn't it be a lot to go through to, like, the screaming and the, the person in the background yelling at you and all that to prank for a prank? No, it's very common for people to do pranks like this and honestly i i don't agree with these people because if you're a young child you're taught certain numbers to remember like i still remember my first phone number 801 i learned that when i was like call seven. that number folks 
So, yeah, just blank that out, please. So, like... <laughs> was it a landline? Yeah, it was a Nobody landline. Nobody can call it. Yeah, it you're doesn't fine. exist. Wait, what was that number? I want to find out. So, I give my, my landline number to people that ask for my phone number, and I don't want them calling me. You should give them Jake's number. Anyway, so... Uh, I, so, my question is, is, she's kind of like... My point is that she's kind of like a mother to these children. So, of course, she probably sat in front of that phone list that her parents had that every parent had when landlines were a thing of the numbers that you needed to know and she probably memorized two three four five numbers that she needed to know and has those just in her memory bank because i was kind of the same way when it came to numbers i needed to know like that so i understand why she may call that number because if you're ever in trouble call this number and yeah i have a theory too um that it's been a so it's been a year since she was kidnapped and she's not that far away from Gallup, so more than likely she's seen on the television or on a poster herself missing. Mm-hmm. The FBI distributed a lot of missing child posters for her, so they would have had the Gallup non-emergency line written on them, basically. They wouldn't have just been call 911. So had she seen those posters, she would have known to call the Gallup non-emergency line rather than 911 and trying to explain who she is, and why she needs help, basically. She could have called the Gallup line and just said, I'm Anthonette Caedito, and they would have immediately known she needed help wherever she was. I actually kind of do agree with your theory there. That sounds more likely than anything. I mean, it's like if you have to buy something and you have someone you always buy it from, you call them first because they already know what you need. Yeah. So it's the same thing. They would already know they're already familiar with the case. That makes sense. And I haven't seen that mentioned anywhere else. Everyone's like, oh, no, it's a prank. She would have called 911. And it's like, I don't think she would have. She would have, if she was still alive and being held by someone for a year, she would have seen herself somewhere. Yeah, because a 10-year-old is a lot smarter than, like, a 6-year-old. You know, 6-year-olds may just remember 911 and call it. Yeah. But a 10-year-old might put a few more pieces of the puzzle together to get to that point. Four years later, in 1991, a waitress in Carson City, Nevada, around 900 miles from Gallup, claimed to have spotted Anthonette while working. She was serving a table consisting of a man, a woman, and a young teenage girl. During the meal, the girl kept knocking her silverware to the floor, which the waitress would pick up. At one point, while bent down, the young girl grabbed her wrist and looked at her. Thinking nothing of it, the waitress cashed out the family, and they went on their way. Why didn't she think anything of it? I don't know. It's like, this kid keeps knocking down their silverware, trying to make eye contact with me. Well, do you ever have those moments where you think like, huh, that was weird, but you don't think it's weird in the time, but thinking back to it, you're like, that was a little strange. That could be. Yeah, and she didn't think it was weird until she started bussing their table, and she picked up the girl's plate, and underneath she found a little crumpled napkin, opened it up, and it said, help me, call police. So then she was like, oh, I fucked up, basically. And she called the police, and by the time they got there, family was gone, and they couldn't do anything about it. But she did, so the waitress did see an age-progressed picture of Antoinette. She would have been 14 or 15 at the time, and she said pretty much exact match. Damn. But it's also possible that she was misremembering after seeing the age-progressed picture and... Right, like the power of suggestion type thing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but still, this was... A teenage girl that needed help, and the police couldn't do anything about it. 
After Penny heard the story of the Carson City sighting, she reached out to a local Navajo medicine woman for help. During a crystal ritual, which were performed to make contact with missing individuals, it was reported that Antoinette was still alive, may have a child, and was being held against her will. This gave Penny hope that Antoinette would be found, although the case had been cold for close to five years, and she felt the police had not done enough to help find her child. I, okay, I have a little beef with this, because I'm all for believing what you wish to believe and stuff like that, but giving someone hope on a missing child case like this is kind of discompassionate, I feel. Yeah, how much weight can we put in a medicine woman? I mean, I'm not talking shit on medicine women by any means, or crystal women, or whatever you want to call them. Men, wizards, whatever. I, I, I'm not going to shit all over them, but I am going to say anytime there's something like this and you're just trying to give someone hope, it may be the most hurtful thing you could do to someone. Yeah, it's kind of difficult in this case because Penny was Navajo, so, I mean, obviously she's going to reach out to someone who I mean, yeah, it's holds just, the same beliefs and holds the same rituals as sacred as she does. But it's, it's just like, it's, it's belief. It's the same thing as prayer to me. It doesn't... Yeah, same thing as the mediums. Like, to yeah. me, it's all, like... It's kind all, of fucked up. It's it's not, I don't know. It's a gray area for me where I don't think that telling this person absolutely this is what is happening is really ever like the situation you want to be in when it comes to missing persons. Because one, you could completely shatter their faith, or two, you could be right and they would never know it. Five years later, in 1992, Wendy and Sadie were re-interviewed as part of routine, likely because the case had been handed over to new detectives. Wendy's story changed dramatically, with her reporting that she had witnessed Antoinette's abduction. During the second round of knocking, Wendy went with Antoinette to the door, where she heard the man claiming to be their Uncle Joe. When the door was opened, two men grabbed Antoinette, who struggled against them, and she was taken to a brown van and placed inside. Unfortunately, Wendy was unable to describe anything about the men or give any more significant details. She claimed that she kept the story to herself during the initial investigation because her mother was so upset and she was scared of getting in trouble or upsetting her more. One thing to keep in mind about this story is that in April of 1986, Wendy was only five years old. Although this doesn't mean her story is completely false, it is possible that parts were misremembered over the course of five years. Yeah, because... I don't remember much from being a five-year-old. I remember my birthday cake as a Superman. Was one of your siblings abducted in front of you? You would definitely remember that. I don't necessarily think that's true. You don't remember a lot of stuff, and even if you do, it's not vivid memories. I have no vivid memories of being five years old, do you? Yeah. What? I have a whole bunch of vivid memories from, like, Four, three on, actually. Five is generally when you start, like, really storing memories, especially, like, traumatic memories. You will hang on to those forever. Hmm. You might misremember. It's going to be a just memory and not, like, a full memory, but it's still going to be at least partial, especially if it's super traumatic. You'll likely have a pretty vivid memory of it. Interestingly, three years after Antoinette's disappearance, her 25-year-old intellectually disabled step-aunt disappeared under strange circumstances. She was the sister of Larry Estrada, Antoinette's stepfather, or biological father, depending on which source you choose to believe. 
For some reason, every news article that mentions Luisa's disappearance states that she was never found, but the Wikipedia article on Antoinette's disappearance claims she was found safe in Juarez, Mexico, a month after she disappeared. Do we have anything besides Wikipedia that says that, or it's just up in the air? Everything besides Wikipedia says she was never found. Hmm. Huh. So I am not sure exactly where she is. If you, she's... Probably dead now. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure she is, but her case wasn't, I guess, that prominent that a lot of news articles were written on it besides being kind of related to Antoinette's case, and it was only like two news articles. And there was never an update saying, found in Juarez, Mexico. Yeah, except for Wikipedia, and they had no sources to cite on that. Hmm. It was weird. That is weird. I don't think they keep very good records of stuff like that in Mexico either compared to here. Unfortunately, Antoinette is still missing. Today, she would be 45 years old, and age progress photos are available on the FBI's website. At the time of her disappearance, Antoinette was 9 years old, of Navajo, Hispanic, and Italian descent, 4 feet 7 inches tall, and around 55 pounds. She was wearing a pink nightgown and had pierced ears and freckles. The FBI asked anyone who believes they have information to contact their local office. We could probably slap that age progress picture up on our Facebook. It's only age progress to 36, but... There's really not a whole lot of difference, probably. Yeah, you just start reversing it with wrinkles. Mm-hmm. People grow and they shrink. Kind of like apples. Just like apples. In the years after Antoinette's abduction, the Cayadito family was understandably shaken to its core. Both Penny and Wendy developed severe drinking problem along with doing drugs. Wait, didn't Penny already drink? Not severely. Oh, she got extra drunk. I mean, yeah. It's understandable. I'm just trying to make sure that we got all the facts in line. Yeah, she started doing drugs and drinking. Heavily. Heavily. Can't blame her. I wonder what kind of drugs she did. Does it matter? Well, of course it matters. It's New Mexico in the early 90s, meth. Mm-hmm. Wendy described it as a, quote, dark and dysfunctional time. Unfortunately, Penny died in 1999 of liver cirrhosis and heart problems, but Wendy has gone on to get clean. Oddly, Sadie isn't often mentioned in articles discussing the aftermath. In 2016, detectives came out and said that they believed that Penny knew more information regarding, their, regarding her daughter's disappearance due to a failed polygraph given by the FBI. <laughs> of course, this should be taken with a grain of salt, as it's well known that polygraphs are not the most reliable sources of information. That's like almost slanderous, isn't it? <laughs> like, she's dead now, so we're just going to say that we think she knows, knew more than she knew. I mean, it's a pretty shitty thing to say about a dead person unless you actually believe that, so. I'm sure they have, I'm hoping at least, that they have more than just a failed polygraph to convince them of that, but. Yeah. I, mean, I think maybe that, you know, that maybe they feel like she wasn't telling the truth about being, pat, like, you know, asleep, sound asleep at three in the morning. They probably think that she's not telling them everything. I don't want to, like, slander her, but it just seems odd that the other children were awoken and she heard nothing but again if she had been out drinking she was probably out pretty cold but they slept in the same bed too right mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah that's suspicious i don't know people we, can black out out of alcohol we can talk about theories in just a second but i want to say there have been multiple jane does that have been tested against anthonette's dna but everything so far has been ruled out i think there was even a girl in arizona that they tested hoping it might have been her, but it wasn't. So 
the FBI does believe that she is deceased since it's been 30 years since she disappeared, but I guess there's always a possibility that she's out there somewhere and just doesn't know who she is. So, like, what percentage do we think we are sure that the girl in the diner was Anthonette? 30. Yeah, I would go pretty low, probably. Because that can make a huge difference as to whether you think she's alive or not. I'm fair, like... I don't want to sound cold here, but I'm fairly certain she's dead. Yeah, I I have a feeling she was killed relatively quickly after she was abducted. But, it, I mean, it could have been a human trafficking thing, I guess. I'm thinking the f- she was killed after the phone call. That's what I was going to say. After someone said, who said you could use the phone? Yeah, I don't think when you're in a situation like that and you call 911, call anybody, there's a, a lot of... Stuff you can do to cover that up. Yeah, because even if you didn't plan, like let's say you planned it as a kidnapping and who knows what else, eventually it's to the point where it's like you're going to get in huge trouble if you don't get rid of the evidence. Like Even if you didn't intend to murder, you're going to have to murder at some point if you've already gotten this far with it. Yeah, and if you've kept her alive for a year, I mean, you're not. Do you think she was in Albuquerque? Yeah. You think they didn't go that far yeah i don't think they went that far i think didn't think that went that far and they stayed hidden do you guys have any theories who it was it was the neighbor uh a covetous person i'm I'm guessing two people one went to the door the first time to do the deed and it didn't get accomplished so they sent the second one in wendy said i believe that it was two men that were at the door and one of them grabbed her yeah um but i want to loop back around to your guys's first theory that you were joking about but i think the babysitter might have been involved oh really because how else would they know unless i guess they were family that she had an uncle joe obviously a babysitter she's is going to gather information over a period of time and know in some way how to get them to open the door so what do you think the motive would be money in any situation the motivation is generally money or something that money can't buy yeah and the fbi didn't think it was anyone in the family because there was never any ransom and there was never any contact made and generally they would have called and been like hey i have anthonette you better do this this and this to get her back but so my mind always wants to lead towards the darkest path and that possibly it was the babysitter called in some acquaintance of hers that pays for pays? sex tra- yeah, sex trafficking wages for girls of a certain age. And I don't know what people's excuses or ideas are behind that, but if you need money, they're... And yeah, that makes sense too, because what better place to find kids than with a babysitter exactly and then you have someone that you're in contact with that will i mean i guess pay you to tell them how to abduct the child the hard part is finding the babysitter that wants to be a part of this i mean yeah it's but i've never everything i read no one ever mentioned anything they were like oh the babysitter they were there they got sent home they never mentioned them again but it's like who else would know enough information to get her to open the door yeah. That she has an Uncle Joe and that she would open the door for an Uncle Joe. Yeah. That isn't Uncle Joe because he was obviously ruled out. It was no one in the family. So it had to be someone close enough to the family to know pertinent information. And kids talk. I'm sure the kids blathered on about their family, especially yeah. if he or she probed them. Yeah. Right, right. Like, 
Yeah, it'd be easy enough to find out. And I mean, you don't even have to do it the first your first time babysitting. You know, become a reliable babysitter, and then oh yeah, you definitely exactly. work your way into it. Mm-hmm. I'll even venture to say that maybe you weren't a babysitter when you came up with this plan and decided to become a babysitter to fulfill the plan. Yeah, yeah you could definitely do that. And I mean, it's really easy to get that kind of information out of kids. You could be like, oh, who's you your know, favorite uncle? I went to my the park with my uncle so-and-so the other day. Do you do anything with your uncle? Do you have and, any uncles? Oh, yeah. I went to the park with my uncle Joe last month. Mm-hmm. You have an in right there. Yeah. So I, I don't know. This is It's very weird because there's yeah, hardly any information... She just basically vanished into thin air. Yeah, but I, I'm unfortunately I'm pretty sure she's dead. They yeah. didn't live on the reservation, right? I'm honestly not sure. I'm not sure what part of Gallup they lived in because it's like I'm pretty sure it's like half and half, or there might just be a small portion that's actually reservation land. But I could be wrong. I haven't been there in years. Because there's like all kinds of different laws and rules if it's on the reservation because then you have to deal with the reservation police right yeah i think they probably weren't on the reservation because the state police and the fbi got involved immediately so but it's possible back then that the police force all kind of worked together more so than they do today i don't really know uh it looks like gallup is technically if they're in gallup proper they're nowhere near the reservation land Reservation land is south of Gallup. So, yeah, they were just in regular Gallup city limits. Mm-hmm. It's in, like, Marion County or something. It's actually pretty big, or it looks pretty big. It's a lot of, like, open desert from what I remember. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's like driving through New Mexico in general. You have to spend at least four hours in open desert. <laughs> All right, Katie, is that going to do it for this week? That is it, yep. All right, guys, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R, crimecast at gmail.com. Or cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. <laughs> it's been a while. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast, on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast, on Twitter at, I want to say fourcornerscast, and our Facebook group, Four Corners Crimecast Discussion Group. And don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple iTunes. Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. I think you can review us on Spotify now, too. Um, So go ahead and do that. Head on over to our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com, where you can get a full episode list, where you can send us an idea for episodes that you might want to hear, or you can even just send us your name and we'll send you a sticker. So that's about it. Make sure you guys remember to vet your babysitters. That's what I've learned today. And don't Corvette your babysitters. <laughs> Run them over? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, guys, we're going to be doing episodes every okay. other week mm-hmm. uh, now, uh, just because, you know, mental health and whatnot is very important to us and everyone needs a break. So don't worry if you don't get one every week. We are still going to provide them to you at no cost, and <laughs> you will get them when you get them, you fucking savages. Yeah, if you want every week, got to pay us. Yeah, yeah. you want more <laughs> content? Let me see a little money. No, just kidding, guys. And we are going to start working through all of the suggestions everyone has sent now that we're back on track. Yeah. I mean, I always was told that you can overcome mental health with money. You know, that's that's not true. 
you can throw. But you can be a depressed rich person. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I would like to be rich guys. So my depression. Slightly <laughs> less depressed. Yeah, my, but my depression is non monetary based at all, really. It's. But you can buy things. Yeah, I could buy serotonin. things. Serotonin. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. False serotonin rush. I really just want to develop a drug habit, guys, so go ahead and send us some money. Now's the time. Now's the time. All right, guys. Talk to you next week. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers. Yeah, but what's on your list of least favorite things? Oh, horses.